People once believed that when someone dies, a crow carries their soul to the land of the dead. But sometimes, just sometimes, the crow could bring that soul back to put the wrong things right. On March 31st, 1993, Brandon Lee, the son of martial arts legend Bruce Lee, showed up to the set of The Crow in Wilmington, North Carolina. Just 28 years old, Lee was ready for his big break, and The Crow seemed like the perfect vehicle to catapult the young star out of his father's enormous shadow and finally carve out his own name in Hollywood. The movie was adapted from a comic book of the same name by creator James O'Barr, and Lee was set to play the role of Eric Draven, a rock musician who's killed by a dangerous gang in the city but is then raised from the dead by a supernatural crow to avenge his death. Given the obsession with dark and gothic superheroes, this was the era of Tim Burton's Batman movies, and long before the rise of the cheerfully snarky Marvel superheroes like Iron Man, Lee fully understood the importance of nailing the role and making the movie a success, sensing that this could be his ticket to a lasting career in the industry. By all accounts, he poured himself into the role, working closely with the stunt coordinator to fully commit himself to looking the part and nailing the fight choreography. The character was supposed to look more like a pale rock star than a superhero, so Lee, who had a naturally athletic build like his famous father, went on a strict diet and exercise regimen to remove any bulky musculature and take on the lean and sinewy appearance of a goth rocker. And it didn't stop there. Because the character rises from the dead, Lee would dunk himself in bags of ice to mimic the feeling of someone rising up from the dead. Many of the rain-soaked scenes were filmed in near-freezing temperatures with Lee mostly nude already, so dunking himself in an ice bath before shooting left folks on the set with the distinct impression that Lee was not only a consummate professional, but also dedicated to making the movie a success. And it was paying off. Expectations were high as the film moved into its final week of shooting. After getting through grueling weather conditions on the set, the schedule was about to shift to some of the more easy, happier flashback scenes. There were just eight days left until the movie wrapped principal photography and Lee was looking forward to the break. Just a week after finishing filming, Lee and his fiancée, Eliza Hutton, were supposed to get married in Ensenada, Mexico. The two had met a couple years earlier when she was an assistant for action film director Rennie Harlan and were excitedly planning their future together, with Eliza shuttling back and forth between Los Angeles and Wilmington to spend time with Lee on set. The scene they were filming on March 31st was critical. This was the scene in which Eric Draven is shot and killed by a character named Fun Boy, played by Michael Massey, setting into motion the resurrection and revenge story that plays out over the course of the film. Filming began around midnight at Carroll Coast Studios in Wilmington, and Massey was supposed to shoot him from a distance of 15 to 20 feet. In preparation for the scene, the armorer on set loaded a blank round into the chamber of the 44 Magnum revolver. A blank round is essentially a cartridge that explodes but doesn't contain the projectile that is actually fired out of the barrel of a gun. Instead, you get a muzzle flash with no bullet. And this is exactly what was loaded into the gun on the set that day. But it all went terribly wrong when a simple mistake ended Brandon Lee's life and rocked the film industry. But did the industry learn enough to never repeat the mistake again? I'm Derek Kaufman. I'm Jason Beckerman. And this is Last Days, Brandon Lee. After Lee was shot in the abdomen with a bullet fragment, the set devolved into confusion and chaos as Lee was rushed to a nearby hospital. His fiancée, Eliza, was contacted and immediately flew to Wilmington. She actually arrived while Lee was still in the ICU, but it was too late. After around six hours of emergency surgery, Lee was pronounced dead at 1.04 p.m. 
the medical examiner later determined the cause of death to be disseminated intravascular coagulopathy. In layman's terms, that means that the bullet fragment had pierced a blood vessel, leading to internal bleeding that never clotted. In essence, Brandon Lee, just 28 years old, bled out. Lee's body was transported to Seattle, where he was laid to rest a few days later on April 3rd, alongside his famous father. Using a body double and some digital technology, the crow was completed and released posthumously on May 13, 1994, and was number one at the box office in its opening weekend. The movie ended up grossing around $100 million worldwide on just a $23 million budget. Although interest in the film obviously increased in the wake of Lee's death, many critics still point to The Crow as one of the first movies to prove that Hollywood films built around complicated antiheroes could translate into big money at the box office. Now, the investigation into Brandon Lee's death had to move quickly because after he was shot and killed, rumors and conspiracy theories started floating around very, very quickly. Some people tried to link the death to rumors that Bruce Lee, his famous father, had been murdered by members of the Triad, an Asian gang linked to rivals in the movie industry. There was speculation that someone had left behind a bullet in the gun on the set of The Crow as a chilling reference to Bruce Lee's final unfinished movie, Game of Death. And in that movie, Jason, Bruce, Bruce's character is shot by an actual assassin with a real bullet while filming a scene with guns that are supposed to be loaded with blanks. That's the concept of that scene. You can l- listen to it here. Cut. Hey, Billy, what's the matter? Hey, what's happening here? What happened? What's wrong? My God! It's uncanny. It's very eerie to see the scene playing out with what's supposed to be a blank and a gun killing actual Bruce Lee on screen. It's very, very strange. But at the end of the day, none of these half-baked theories have any reasonable connection to the truth and only ended up making the episode even more painful for family members underscoring the need for a real investigation into what happened on that set to put these rumors to rest and find the truth. And that criminal investigation did come about. It was launched to figure out exactly what happened on that on the set that day. Investigators quickly learned through forensics that a blank had actually been loaded into the gun prior to filming the scene, which should have made firing the weapon completely safe. There should have been a muzzle flash from the hammer hitting the blank cartridge, but without a projectile fired out of the barrel, nobody would have been hurt. The problem turned out to be that close-up shots of the barrel of the gun are often taken with something called dummy cartridges. In order to look realistic, you need an actual projectile in the barrel of the gun for close-up shots, and blanks don't have a projectile tip. It's a dead giveaway that the scene is fake and can hurt the realism of some scenes. So a dummy cartridge is essentially a real bullet projectile without the gunpowder. Think of it as the opposite of a blank which has the gunpowder for the muzzle flash but no projectile. So police determined that the tip of one of the dummy cartridges, again, that's just the tip without the gunpowder in the back, broke off in the barrel of the gun while they were filming those close-up shots to make it look like the gun was actually actually loaded. So when the blank was actually loaded into the gun... You've got it, this extra projectile that's still in there that's lodged in the barrel that, so that when you have the, then the, the gunpowder explosion with the actual blank that's being shot, you, still ha- you do have the projectile, which is exactly what you're trying to avoid. You've created a real bullet with yes. two fake bullets. Right. And that's the tragedy of what happened. We had the projectile plus the blank uh, gunpowder, and together they formed a bullet. So now this loose projectile fired out of the weapon when Massey pointed the gun at Lee as he was instructed to do for this 
critical scene of the movie, what he was actually firing was a loaded weapon. Uh, But was this just a tragic accident or was it the result of some criminal negligence? So some crew members in the immediate aftermath criticized uh, the production for the long hours on the set. They suggested that the grueling conditions and the hours could have led to lapses in gun safety. Are the working conditions on the set of The Crow particularly bad? Extremely long hours, uh, 18 hour days back to back at times, uh, pushing 90 to 100 hours a week, six day weeks is uh, way too much. Do you think that that overwork, that exhaustion might have resulted in this accident? Safety precautions, uh, all of them were definitely not followed. It could have been prevented um, with better management. Now, it's important to note that there were other members of the crew who disputed this and said this movie was no different than many similar productions, which frequently entail long hours on the set, tight deadlines and strict budgets. And they said this was no different and this was just a tragic accident. The North Carolina district attorney, Jerry Spivey, ultimately decided not to bring any criminal charges under the circumstances. He found that the case at best presented evidence of simple negligence but not criminal wrongdoing. And as we know, Jason, simple negligence is something you can bring in a civil context, but it's not a criminal uh, offense. So it appeared that the precautions had been taken to load and unload the dummy cartridges for the close-up shots before loading the blanks. And although checking the barrel for any loose projectiles would have saved Lee's life, the DA didn't think there was enough evidence to rise to the level necessary to prove criminal misconduct. Again, you need gross negligence to rise to that sort of involuntary manslaughter. We see this all the time. We saw it in the context of the Rust case, which we're going to talk about at length in in a few minutes. But it happens all the time. When somebody dies, something went wrong. And just because something went wrong does not mean that there is somebody who is criminally liable for the act. It can be tragic accidents. And when there are accidents, it's always because, again, something went not just an act of God, something might have gone wrong with in human hands that had better and more safety precautions been in place, somebody wouldn't have died. But again, that doesn't make a criminal. That's you right. have to have an active, negligent act, at the very least, a reckless act, really, in order to charge somebody with wrongful death or some sort of criminal negligence in a case. And that's just, it's, it's, it, the family members and others close to the people who die don't always want to see it that way, but that's how the way the law is structured. Now, the door was still open for civil suits, so Lee's mother uh, did end up filing one of those. She filed a wrongful death uh, civil suit against the studio, and that was settled out of court for an undisclosed sum. Yeah. Because, as you said, those are two different standards, and oftentimes if there's no criminal liability, there still may be a fa- grieving right. family the, member the, who will be able to Those little accidents that don't arise to criminal liability often do rise to civil liability. And that's, you know, what happened here. There was a settlement. We don't know for how much, but that that did happen. Massey, the actor who shot the weapon during the scene, lived with the guilt for the rest of his life. He told Extra TV in 2005, what happened to Brandon was a tragic accident. It's something I'm going to have to live with. It took me the time it took to be able to not so much put it in perspective, but to be able to move on with my life. Massey said he became, quote, very conscious of things going awry on set after the tragedy, but after a long hiatus, did eventually return to acting as a terrorist on the hit Fox TV series 24 and a satanic murderer on the NBC miniseries Revelations. In 2016, Massey died of stomach cancer at the age of 64. Are you ready to shop? Ragaton's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including Ray-Ban, Good American, and Ulta. Ragaton is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals. During Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th, the cash back rates are even bigger. 
I'll be shopping for apparel and electronics, and you can save on everything you need for the summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of Big Give Week's 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Just go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. Rakuten, R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. So we got to talk about there's this massive tragedy and Brandon Lee was, you know, he was Hollywood royalty as the son of Bruce Lee. So this was a very big deal at the time. And so the thought was we need to have some changes to safety protocols on set so a tragedy like this doesn't happen again. And one of the most disheartening aspects of the Crow tragedy to me is that there weren't really any concrete changes to the safety protocols in the aftermath. The film industry is diffuse and complicated, Jason, and and some of this actually works against improving the safety measures. There's competition for where things are going to shoot through tax incentives and lax regulation. You're trying to attract productions to film in certain locations. And one of the ways you attract productions is by saying, hey, it's easy to film here. It's cheap. We're not going to be looking over your shoulders constantly. And because of that dynamic... Uh, regulations tend to be pretty lax. It's also a natural conflict between the people who are trying to create the content in the best possible way and the most realistic way. We're talking about that, how the gun, how the bullet looks coming out of a chamber, that sort of thing. That's a natural conflict with a pure element of safety. If you're just going for safety, hey, we're just going to have a, a, you know, a a gun flash, but no projectile at any point. But then the content creator's like, well, we need to show the close-up shots of the projectile coming out. And here, that's the actual confluence events that related, that that resulted in his death. There's Realism. There, right? Yeah, that's and, and we, the audience, demand that realism as well. And we'll call out things like that. We'll pick the nits, right? Exactly. If we right. don't see that kind of the, the proper authenticity and we don't like that. And so there's this natural sort of conflict that's happening there. Yeah, there's a real tension. So, you know, that said, even though there weren't grand scale changes, there were some informal norms that developed on sets involving guns. And many actors were quick to point these out in the aftermath of the rush shooting that happened very recently with Helena Hutchins on the set and Alec Baldwin fatally shooting her. Um, George Clooney, who is good friends, I mean, this is an interesting fact that came up. George Clooney was actually good friends with Brandon Lee. And in the aftermath of the Rust shooting, every every questioner would say, uh, get a comment from another celebrity about the tragedy on the Rust set. And George Clooney made some very sharp comments about the importance of gun safety, saying after Brandon died, it really became a very clear thing. Open the gun, look down the barrel, look in the cylinder, make sure. It's a series of tragedies, but also a lot of stupid mistakes. Every single time I'm handed a gun on a set, every time they hand me a gun, I look at it, I open it, I show it to the person I'm pointing it to, we show it to the crew. Right. Everyone does. Everybody knows. And maybe Alec did that. I Hopefully he did do that. So, you know, he's so bring, let's get into it. Right. Let's, let's compare so, the so Rust look, and the Look, it's impossible tragedies. to talk about Crow and Brandon Lee without talking about the Rust tragedy. They're very, a lot of similarities, some differences as well, sure. but a lot of similarities. Uh, you know, it's been nearly 20 years since Brandon Lee died. You have this sort of history repeating itself w- uh, on the Rust set. Alec Baldwin, who fired the fatal shot, as Derek said, that kills Elena Hutchins and two others, armorer Hannah Gutierrez-Reed and assistant director Dave Halls, were criminally investigated in the Rust shooting. Halls, who rep- reportedly yelled cold gun before it was handed to Baldwin, took a plea deal. Prosecutors ended up dropping the charges against Baldwin, though as of this time it could theoretically be refiled. And the remaining case against the armor is still pending. 
there's several key differences. I mean, the, the the rush to compare this to The Crow was immediate. I mean, that is the, it happened almost 20 years after you the and fact. I in the newsroom hearing about the shooting said, oh my God, it's just like Brandon Lee. Yeah, everyone yeah. made the comparison, but there's a lot of differences between the incidents. First and foremost, Baldwin and others were merely blocking the scene and rehearsing when the fatal incident occurred as, as opposed to... Um, uh, Brandon Lee and Massey were actually shooting the scene. This right. was a, this was a, a live actual. This was ready to go, ready to roll, and that's uh, when that tragedy happened. This could matter because it was argued that Baldwin squeezing the trigger during the rehearsal was entirely unnecessary. They were simply blocking the scene, meaning putting tape on the ground for you standing here to make sure the camera captures this shot. And there was really no action being filmed. He did have the weapon and and maybe wanted to sort of aim it and get through the motions. But squeezing the trigger was technically unnecessary, although it's very hard to hold him sort of responsible, given that he says cold gun was yelled out and he thought he had a cold gun. Right. Massey had to fire the weapon. So right. that is a distinction, though, because the scene was being shot. So an actor in his situation, arguably, he has a little bit less culpability uh, for squeezing the trigger because the scene was actually being shot. Second, a live round was actually loaded into the weapon on the rust set. And this is critical, which is different than what happened in the Brandon Lee Crow tragedy. As I said, the two, two fake bullets made a real right, bullet. Exactly. In the rust situation... And this is a very important distinction. The armor had live ammunition available on the set that was mistakenly loaded into the weapon. So a real bullet was put into Alec Baldwin's gun. It's not a combination of a dummy cartridge and a blank. This is less the tragic mistake that we talked about earlier and more a really highly negligent or reckless act, it seems like, when you actually, somebody actually picked, and it turns out to be the armorer most likely, picked up a live bullet and slid it into the chamber of that gun. That's very different than what happened in the the crow shooting. It's very different. And we've heard, you know, these, a dummy cartridge, and dummy blanks and live bullets feel very different to people yeah. who are sophisticated about this. Some of them rattle. There's there's things that uh, if you're in the industry, this is not a mistake that should be right. made. That's why you hire an armorer who is successful in the industry or experienced in the industry. And That's make right. These decisions, right. And as a as a third matter, there were numerous safety lapses in the Rust tragedy that were simply not part of the investigative findings with the Crow. Uh, there were allegations that Alec Baldwin was not taking the weapons training session seriously and would spend much of the time on his phone. The armorer on Russ, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, was allegedly too young and inexperienced for the role and, according to prosecutors, may have been partying the night before and possibly even hung over on set. This case is still pending and she has denied these allegations. There were reports of a generally lax attitude about safety on set, although in the wake of the Crow tragedy, you also heard about lax safety regulations. Right. So that's something that comes up in the wake of any tragedy. You know, at the end of the day, it's just not surprising that the rush shooting has gotten a lot more criminal attention than the Crow tragedy. It happened 20 years ago. We are, you know, every year that goes by, we get more and more inv- invested in safety and, and making sure that things like this do not happen. So there was a lot of shock about the death of of uh, Helena Hutchins that may not have existed back in the day in, in Brandon Lee's case, although and certainly that was shocking as well. And at the time of the Brandon Lee tragedy, there were vows to, to the point you made earlier that such a tragedy just wouldn't happen again. It wouldn't be repeated on set. And although accidents happen, things like this seem entirely avoidable with sufficient safety protocols in place and the requisite attention to detail of all of the 
huge technological breakthroughs that we have. You think these fundamental elements of safety, gun safety on set would have been overcome by now, but clearly they're not. Yeah, I mean, in, in the wake of the Rust tragedy, you were pretty outspoken saying like Alec Baldwin had no criminal intent right. here. And I think you're right about that. But the sharp comments that Clooney made in the aftermath do resonate a bit with me. He said, look, after Brandon, everything should have changed. I always looked in the barrel and you said, hey, that's armchair quarterbacking. And I understand well, that I point. I think Clooney is more diligent than others are because we heard because from he others. Who, we heard from others who uh, simply said that that's not the way it is on the vast majority of sets. But it sounds like it should be, right? It sounds yeah. like you should look down, not to check whether the bullet's a fake or, or a real bullet, although that's great too, but you can't expect an actor who has no experience in that to recognize the difference. But Clooney did talk about looking down the barrel. That's something that you know could have prevented the tragedy in Brandon Lee's case. But I, I don't know that even doing that, like, like, do you really want it left to Alec Baldwin of the world to discern, discern between a, differentiate between a real bullet and a blank? I, I don't think so. Yeah, right? it's a very tough question. And and it, it was it was harsh, it was a harsh rebuke from George Clooney because I think he's emotionally connected yes. to Brandon Lee. So, um, but, but I tend to agree with you. Let, let's talk a little bit about why Brandon Lee's death um, was so important. You know, as I said, he was the son of Bruce Lee, but it's important to go back to the beginning. Um, you know, he was the son of the world's most famous martial artist, and he was trying to both leverage his connection to that lineage without being trapped by it. And that's a difficult yeah. thing to pull off. His first credited acting role was in Kung Fu, the movie, which was a feature length television movie starring David Carradine, who we've covered in a previous episode, which was a follow up to the hugely successful 70s television series. Lee was gratified to be cast as the illegitimate son of Carradine's character, especially because the pilot of the 1970s show had originally been conceived as a vehicle for Bruce Lee, his famous father. Lee's breakout lead performance was actually not in an American film, though, um, but a Hong Kong action crime thriller called Legacy of Rage, where Brandon played a young man wrongly accused of a crime. And the movie ended up winning multiple awards and was a critical darling at the 1987 Cannes Film Festival. But Lee didn't immediately translate that into success in Hollywood, and he bounced around action movies and B-movies for a period of time after that. Things really started to change for Brandon in 1991 when Universal Pictures started to look for an actor to play the role of Bruce Lee in an upcoming biopic, Dragon, The Bruce Lee Story, which brought a renewed interest in martial arts movies and Bruce Lee's legacy. Lee did not end up getting the role, partly because the producer did not think he looked Chinese enough. Lee's mother was not Asian. The role ended up going to Jason Scott Lee, no relation to Bruce, who said he was initially intimidated by taking the part, but eventually spoke to Brandon about it. He says that Brandon told him not to treat his father like a god, saying his father was just a man, a man who had a temper, a lot of anger, and someone who found mediocrity offensive. Brandon would often spend hours talking to the director, Rob Cohen, to ensure the movie did justice to Bruce Lee's legacy without overly glorifying his father. Lee eventually got a role in 20th Century Fox action thriller Rapid Fire after the producer saw a screening of Legacy of Rage. The movie did decently well, debuting at number three at the box office and raking in around $15 million. Although critics didn't care for the movie, Lee received positive review reviews for his charisma, martial arts skills, and humor. Yeah, I wanted to lay out this context about the background to show you how important The Crow was. He was sort of slowly building credibility within the industry. And these were action movies. If you're not a big 
sort of uh, fan of that genre. You may not have heard of them, but they were a big deal to people who are fans of that genre. But The Crow was putting it's him on another it's level. It's important to note that The Crow was not something that was coming on blind and we're going to see how it's going to do. It was a widely hyped movie. Everybody knew about it. Everybody knew about it. Bruce Lee. It had a real resurgence at this time. He was, And there was a lot of curiosity and interest in Brandon Lee getting his first big role. This is going to be a really big movie with or without the death. I actually, you know, there's a lot of talk about how the box office numbers were greater in the wake of Brandon Lee's death. But this is going to be a big deal regardless. Yeah, it was it was timely. We yeah. were entering into that superhero sort of phase of Hollywood, and he was at the at the inception of it. And that's why I think it's important to talk about the counterfactual with Brandon yeah. Lee, because he really was starting the, the, the big part of his career. He was 28 years old. He was about to enter his prime with a big movie that he worked very, very hard on. Um, what do you, what do you think about that? What do you think Brandon Lee would have done with his career had the tragedy not occurred? Yeah, he was really starting to come into his own, as we talked about. You know, the crow seemed like that was a ripe opportunity for him. He was fully aware of his le- father's legacy, but looking to carve out one from his future. You know, the movie has become a bit of a cult object, right? This is yeah. something that you know well and you've talked about. We've talked about before about how The Crow helped define, you know, Brandon Lee. Obviously, because he died doing it, it's def- it's defining for him. But it also sort of, you know, makes you think about what his career would have been but for this tragedy. Yeah, you know, it's tempting to think of, of The Crow as only popular because it's the movie where you get to see a man killed on film. But it's really not that because they filmed so much of it. This was the last week of shooting and there are a lot of scenes where he's just acting and you really see flashes of the charisma and the charm that Bruce Lee had in his son, yet in a sort of different mode. You know, Bruce Lee was always sort of shirtless and and in fighting mode and Brandon turns in sort of a kind of nuanced performance as much as you can do so in a in in a comic book type Brandon, movie. Brandon was fluent in English. He had a he had a lot of advantages that his father as coming, you know, making largely English language films wouldn't have had. Um Bruce was famously gruff on set, yes. right? Famously was difficult for some people to deal with. Brandon didn't have any of that by all accounts. I mean, we know Clooney was his buddy. By all accounts, he's a really good guy. Yeah. Um, and it's he would have, I think, you know, you, you pointed out the Jackie Chan comparison. I think that's maybe a route that he could have gone really successfully. Bilingual, you know, could have been really successful. It's what seems most apt to me because there was a self-effacing quality to Brandon yeah. that you did not see in Bruce Lee. Yeah. You certainly didn't see in the muscled up guys like Jean-Claude Van Damme and Steven Seagal of the yeah. same era who were very self-serious. Took themselves very very seriously, right? Very seriously. And right. to this day, even take themselves right. very, very seriously, sort of a humorless approach. He didn't have that. It just seems like he'd be an interesting career to track over time. You know, his father is a cultural icon. He's much more than a martial artist. I'm not trying to say that Brandon Lee was going to reach the levels of Bruce Lee in the popular consciousness, but you know, I think he would have been a worthy successor, someone who could have carved out a real career and, you know, died in his late twenties. So there was really a lot of time for him to explore that. Yeah, so Brandon Lee's film legacy was left incomplete as a result of the tragic accident, and the painful memories of his loss surfaced after the tragedy on the Rust set. Eliza Hutton, who'd been engaged to Brandon Lee and planned to marry him two weeks after shooting Wrapped on the Crow, posted a photo of the young couple shortly after news broke uh, about the death of Helena Hutchins uh, with a simple caption, there's no such thing as a prop gun. Lee's sister, Shannon, echoed the sentiments, sending condolences to Hutchins' family, and tweeting from the official Brendan Lee account, quote, no one should ever be killed by a gun on a film set. But I think ending this podcast on a note of gun safety would really be a disservice to the memory of Brandon Lee. So I wanted to give the final word to his younger sister, Shannon, who reflected on seeing her brother's performance in The Crow after its posthumous release. I had to go see it because I knew that Brandon would be so proud of his performance. He was so proud of this movie. And 
Um, so I went to go see it in a nice big movie theater. I picked the biggest, fanciest movie theater that I could find and uh, went to go see it. And um, I'm so glad I did because he was phenomenal. And the movie was a great movie. And um, I'm just really proud of him.